When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, August 18th, 2023, the 940th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So first off, apologies to everyone out there for me being unable to put up an episode yesterday. It was my plan to do that. I thought I would be able to. I didn't get it done. And I had been keeping on track so well up to that point. I will do my best to attempt to make it up to you, hopefully this weekend. 
Okay, so let's get into it. On Tuesday, we discussed the latest and greatest Trump indictment, this one by Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis. And as I was thinking about this latest and greatest of the four major Trump indictments, I decided I wanted to ask the people which indictment they found the most entertaining and hilarious and fake of all the Trump indictments. And so I ran a Twitter poll. The first option, of course, Alvin Bragg and his novel legal theory. Jack Smith, number one, the espionage case that pretends the Presidential Records Act does not exist. Jack Smith, number two, about the stolen election and the very violent insurrection. And the Fonnie Willis indictment, also known as Rico Suave. And by a large, large margin, Fonnie Willis won the contest. 76% of the respondents believe that Fonnie Willis's RICO indictment of Donald Trump is the most hilarious, the most entertaining, and the most fake of all the Trump indictments. Now, we also talked about how the charges had been leaked in advance of the grand jury voting on whether to bring charges in the first place, which indicated that the result of that supposed vote in this very real grand jury was a fait accompli. The charges would be brought no matter what the vote was. And potentially there might be another wrinkle, which is that all of the grand jurors were already guaranteed to vote for all those charges. So it's not just that D.A. Fannie Willis would have pushed it through no matter what. It's that the jurors were already prepared to go along with that. It's obvious that the first one is a certainty. And that being true, you have to think there's probably a good chance on the second one. So the leak of those charges was damaging to the entire public narrative surrounding this indictment, as was the presentation on the cable news that evening with the judge making a joke out of the whole affair. And then Fonnie Willis blatantly lying at her ridiculous nighttime press conference. She blamed the entire issue on the court clerk. She said she had no idea what happened or how it could have happened. And she just went on pretending that what had happened wasn't a big deal and couldn't compromise her entire case, when of course it absolutely can. In fact, we went through some of the reaction and some of the record that shows that that leak can itself be prosecuted as a felony. But since all of that, things have gotten actually considerably worse for Fonnie Willis. And the blatant corruption involved in bringing this case is becoming clear to just about everyone. This is Newt Gingrich. This is hearsay, but I am told by a reliable source that Friday evening, somebody from Washington called the district attorney in Atlanta and said, you have to indict on Monday. We have to cover up all of the mistakes we just made with Weiss. And she said, hmm. apparently, my jurors aren't coming back till Tuesday. And they said, you didn't hear me. You have to to indict on Monday. And she said, well, they're not going to get here before noon. They said, it doesn't matter. She said, this, this means it's going to be 8 or 9 or 10 o'clock at night. She said, it doesn't matter. We need the news so media who, shifting who, who off ma- of who Weiss. who made that phone call? We don't know. 
And I'm, and, it's, and I'm telling you up front, this is hearsay, but it's from a person who has remarkably good I, sources. I, I totally believe it, though, because that would explain why they leaked and they messed up on the clerk document, why she was exhausted, <laughs> and why they had the 11 p.m. press conference, Mr. Speaker. So that's Newt Gingrich on The Charlie Kirk Show. Newt is essentially saying that someone from the illegitimate administration or from Barack Obama's shadow administration got in touch with District Attorney Fonnie Willis, told her she had to indict on Monday, and that is what caused the timing of things to be so unusual. But that also expresses and confirms what I was saying a moment ago about the leak of the charges. It was a fait accompli. There was nothing else that could have happened. The grand jury was already guaranteed to come in and approve the indictment with these counts against Donald Trump. That essentially invalidates the entire process. Or it would if people weren't such blatant liars and didn't want to hang on to this idea that Donald Trump is actually guilty of all these things. The indictment actually isn't a ridiculous comical farce written at an elementary school reading level, as I suggested in reply to a Scott Adams tweet. A lot of people actually tried to argue to me that the claims made in the indictment were actually damning evidence of a conspiracy led by Donald Trump to commit crimes all based on the idea that Donald Trump knew he was lying about election fraud in 2020. That is actually part of the central narrative about Donald Trump and about the elections of 2020, that he is actually lying about the results of the election. He knows that the election was not stolen, but he continues to say that it was stolen to take advantage of of all of his stupid followers. This is what they have been told. This is what they believe. And of course, they believe it because they have inadvertently walked themselves into a hate movement. They believe Trump supporters are stupid. Therefore, when the explanation for something absolutely absurd is that Trump supporters are stupid, they're like, oh, yeah, that does explain it. Just like everything else. It is amazing how many things are simply explained by understanding that Trump supporters are stupid. I know I am right about all of these things because Donald Trump supporters are stupid. They really think that. People who are verifiably wrong about absolutely everything and have been for years on end, this is part of their total inversion within their false reality. So the combination of these two ridiculous beliefs explains everything for them throughout all of these indictments, really. Trump supporters are stupid and therefore easily tricked by Donald Trump. Donald Trump knows that the elections were free and fair, safe and secure, and that the reported results accurately reflect the will and intent of the American voter. But he's lying to his stupid supporters in order to take advantage of them and get their donation money. And he's willing to risk going to prison and civil war to get his supporters donation money. The billionaire wants money from his supporters. So he puts himself through 
all of this. And then the news tells you Donald Trump can't make money. So he's not even getting money from his supporters. That is what they tell you. But, but that Donald Trump is doing all of this to get money from his supporters who are stupid enough to keep giving it to him because he keeps lying about the results of the election, even though he knows the results are legitimate. They really believe that. And they have to, of course, because if you let go of that, if they accept that Donald Trump really does believe the election was stolen, well, then they might inadvertently have the thought that, wait, wasn't Donald Trump the president of the United States of America at that point? Wasn't he the commander in chief of the American military? And wasn't he, as the leader of the executive branch and the commander in chief of that military, the person with the most access to information in all the land and perhaps all the world? And then if they think that, well, what comes next? Oh, hey, uh, yeah, if Donald Trump is actually telling the truth and he's in a position to know, then, oh, God, the election was stolen. And so they pretend that none of it's true. Donald Trump knows the election was not stolen and he just deceives his followers. That's all that happened. Now, stop talking about it or you're going to make me realize there is an enormous problem with my belief system. And that's really where we are with this, because if Donald Trump knows that the election was stolen, then the Jack Smith indictment goes away. You can't be depriving people of their rights to vote while you're protecting their rights to vote. You can't be defrauding the government while the government is defrauding you. And you can't obstruct a congressional proceeding when that congressional proceeding is about to certify a usurpation of the United States of America when you have a sworn oath to protect the United States of America and uphold its constitution. And you certainly can't be guilty of the conspiracy to overthrow the country when all you're asking people to do is uphold their oaths. The election has to be legitimate and Trump has to be knowingly lying for either one of these indictments to make sense at all. And of course, neither of them do. Now, that's not the only reason. They're a mess way beneath that. And that's before you get to any of the personal scandals of the people bringing the cases or the people trying the cases. But all of that can be left aside when you understand that the election was stolen. Once you understand that, Everything that Donald Trump did was not only legal, it was the right thing to do. Now, it's legal either way, so there's no problem about that. But even if the activity itself was actually against the law, a necessary underlying element of making the claim is false. There is no way to get a justifiable conviction in that situation that any court would actually uphold. Go ahead and convict him, Jack Smith. Let's go see what happens in appeals. 
Let's watch 10 versions of the rerun of the Jack Smith election surrection trial. I have no problem with that at all. Let's just, you know, keep them speedy or, or just fix things first and then keep showing reruns and people can catch up whenever they want. They can catch up 10 years from now if that's how long they want to hide for. They played reruns of Seinfeld four times a day on TBS in syndication years after Seinfeld finished and people still watched it. So all good. Let's play the Jack Smith trial and all of its appeals as reruns forever and evermore. But, you know, let's fix things first and understand that the election was stolen and once again recognize Donald Trump as president since he is, in fact, the duly elected president right now. And by the way, I was thinking about my reruns theory last night and kind of thinking about that in relation to the way I think about time and informational time travel. And I might get to it later in the show. I hope that I'm able to. There was a piece this week in the very left, but also sort of awake media outlet, The Gray Zone. With the headline, Zelensky holds court with Ukraine's most notorious neo-Nazi. And I've kind of been spending a lot of time thinking about how I believe most of what we are seeing now is a story that is being told to us or shown to us specifically to help us properly understand an historical situation that we were lied to about. Like we could look at this Hawaiian fire. Or this hurricane that is barreling toward California. And we can understand that the scale and magnitude of these stories and the fact that they are so internally incoherent is going to wake some people up to the lies within the climate change narrative. And truthfully, I imagine other narratives as well, for sure. But as we watch, the Hawaiian fire story and the California hurricane story. We're not going to learn that climate change is a hoax. We're going to be focused on entirely different parts of the falsehood within that story. And at some point for most people wrestle with the idea that the fact there are so many falsehoods within a story of this magnitude means that we should begin to have at least some skepticism about the reality of the underlying event, and then you might learn many lessons beyond that as well. And I know that this might seem like it's getting a little esoteric, a little out there, and I understand that, but I am basically suggesting that there are multiple different stories within one of these stories that are now hitting multiple different false narratives from the past that are being revised in a corrective way to properly reframe events from the past based on our new understanding of these events in the present. And here's another example that is actually what got me thinking about this. I had never reconsidered anything about Nazis until this Ukraine-Russia conflict began. And then I began to learn a whole lot more about those pesky Ukrainian Nazis that have been hanging around in Ukraine since World War II, learning about how our intelligence community was training those Ukrainian Nazi battalions for years 
printed by left-wing outlets, not right-wing conspiracy theory sites. Congress has held votes on funding the Azov Battalion. There is nothing false about any of it. And I would bet that hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people, through watching this Russia-Ukraine conflict, have begun to reconsider what they were taught about Nazis and what they were taught about World War II. And that's pretty important, considering the reality of Operation Paperclip, the reality of Nazis in our science community that everybody knows about, no one denies, and we just say, well, you know, (laughs) anything for the science... I mean, after all, we are worshipers of the authoritative source. We are extremely committed to the religion of scientific materialism. So if we have to explain away a few Nazis, okay, we need the science. And you know what? You need the science too, because if you don't go along with the science and what we say, well, Science is going to hit you with a nuclear weapon and you will be incinerated along with everyone you know and love immediately. We took Nazis and brought them all over the world and protected them. We put them in NASA and all of their American collaborators kept their businesses and stayed powerful. Prescott Bush had two people in his direct lineage who became president of the United States. These are the sorts of things that actually matter, the sorts of things that we do have to reconsider at some point. And the Ukraine-Russia conflict narrative has taught a whole lot of people, including me, that lesson. Now, what I think is interesting about this in the context of informational time travel and in the context of reruns is that while I experienced that event as something contemporary, current, present. I felt like I was watching it in real time. There are plenty of people out there who have watched that show more than enough times to have already understood what I had failed to understand until then. I had held on to my prior understanding of what Nazism was, who the Nazis were, what it represented, and how they had been totally defeated by America at the end of World War II. Well, that ain't true. And now I know that. Other people knew that before me. So the Ukraine-Russia conflict for them is just a rerun of the Nazi stuff that they have long been aware of. At any point within the last 80 years, we could have understood that there were Ukrainian Nazis and that they still had relations with and the support of the global regime. That information was out there and available if we had cared to look or if we could have been swayed in our belief to give up our default explanation that we had received from authority. For those people, the Nazi element of the Russia-Ukraine conflict was a rerun. But for me, it was like a world premiere of an action movie. Like, holy moly, that was intense and also probably way too long. But those same people for whom the Nazi element was a rerun, the Ukrainian biolabs may not have been, or the Biden involvement in the Ukrainian biolabs may not have been. The point is that no matter who you are, 
you're probably going to learn something new each time you watch the reruns, and regardless, they have to be played anyway because we need to hit that critical mass of understanding and awakening for this process to conclude. And to return to the topic of Fonnie Willis, that is especially true of stolen elections in the United States of America. Once we hit the critical mass of understanding and awakening relative to that issue, that is when we can move forward and probably not a moment sooner. I have no idea how long that will take. As I mentioned on Tuesday, I was hoping that we would have some motion on that on Monday of next week. Donald Trump had scheduled a press conference where he said he was going to release evidence of election fraud in Georgia in an irrefutable report. Now, as often happens, something gets scheduled and then we get rug pulled. And I suppose it's my fault for falling for that one. But it seems like it's another one of those instances where something gets planned, the other side reacts, and then the plan is changed after having caused the other side to expend narrative ammunition, let's say. And there seem to be some distractions in store to cover up any potential press conference by Donald Trump that day. Joe Biden had initially planned a trip to Hawaii so that he could fall over and then mumble about what a great tragedy it was and talk about how he was giving each and every person affected seven hundred dollars while also using funding reliant on the indentured servitude of Americans to make sure that Ukrainian Nazi battalions have everything they need. So between that and Hurricane Hillary, that tropical storm on the West Coast that is barreling toward California, there would be some storylines that the news could push all their focus toward ignoring the Donald Trump press conference. That will not be the case now. Donald Trump has switched tactics, announcing last night on Truth Social, rather than releasing the report on the rigged and stolen Georgia 2020 presidential election on Monday, my lawyers would prefer putting this, I believe, irrefutable and overwhelming evidence of election fraud and irregularities in formal legal filings as we fight to dismiss this disgraceful indictment by a publicity and campaign finance-seeking DA, who sadly presides over a record-breaking murder and violent crime area, Atlanta. Therefore, the news conference is no longer necessary. So rather than putting out this irrefutable evidence of election fraud at a news conference on Monday, it is going to be included in a legal filing, which we can imagine or at least hope will have much greater impact. Now. Do I believe that Donald Trump just received new information in a Georgia report proving irrefutably that the election was stolen in Georgia? No, of course I don't believe that. That's ridiculous. Donald Trump has had this information the entire time. Did the report just get finished on information that he already had? Well, hey, maybe. There's no way I can know that. But that's probably not relevant when making this point. The information is old. Donald Trump had it. If he has delayed sharing that information with the public, then there's a reason behind that. 
But I think the most likely conclusion to draw is that this evidence has been presented to the public before. He is teasing the press conference to get people's attention on the fact that he is going to release some of this information at the moment where people are waking up and realizing that there's no way in hell Joe Biden received anywhere near 81 million real lawful American votes. And then once he has everyone's attention on that, he just says, nah, you know what? This evidence is so good. I think I'm just going to put it in that court case and we can let all that get processed in a formal environment and make it part of the public record rather than throwing up a few scraps for the media to fact check and social media companies to censor. Now, I know some of this can be frustrating because you're being told that you have to wait again. And if you're having that feeling, then it's time to simply recognize that you are ahead of the game, but that the game still has to play out so everyone else can catch up. It's like when you're in school and you have to take a test. If you finish the test before the bell rings, most of the time you don't get to leave class early. You just have to sit there silently until everyone else finishes taking the test. Now you can whine and complain and be bored, or you can go back and check your work if you think you might have missed something. But no matter what reaction you have, the time is still going to pass at the same speed. And if you leave before the bell rings, you're not going to have a good time. At some point, you have to understand that this part of the story isn't for you. There is plenty of other stuff to focus on, including your own personal life or your work life or your health, or your mental health, or your finances. There are plenty of things that you can be focused on if you find yourself getting really frustrated with the pace at which things are happening. But back to Fonnie Willis and the cleanup effort surrounding that leak. We were told yesterday that the bureaucrat who ended up accidentally leaking the list of charges in the indictment before the grand jury had an opportunity to vote on them, did so by accident. They say he clicked send instead of save. But that too just reconfirms the problem in the first place, which is that the charging decision was fait accompli before the grand jury voted. And we are told by Newt, and it seems likely to be true, that the order to push through that indictment came from Washington, D.C. It came from the illegitimate administration or the shadow government controlling the illegitimate administration. And we know that that illegitimate administration has been involved in every one of the Trump indictments so far. Even the Alvin Bragg indictment included an ex-Biden DOJ official named Matthew Colangelo. The illegitimate Biden administration has had a hand in each one of these instances which means that we have an illegitimate authoritarian dictator usurping the presidency of the United States and using that illegitimate power to prosecute in the hopes of imprisoning his leading political opponent after having already censored the speech of the supporters of that legal political opponent and weaponizing his law enforcement agencies against those same supporters. If this was any place other than the United States of America, everyone would recognize exactly what this is. But since it's right in front of our faces, 
people who have embraced a total inversion within the false reality about absolutely everything cannot possibly see it. It's so in their face that they can't even believe it's real. Like, that's not a banana. The sky has turned yellow. Like, hey, Kami, everybody can see that it's a banana. You hear us all saying, hey, why is that Kami so confused about the banana in his face? Hey, Kami, that really is a banana. And rather than accepting the banana in their face, they'll send you an article from six months ago talking about how the science said the sky could end up having a slightly yellowish hue. And for them, that was enough. It's probably also worth pointing out that we may not need the Trump press conference if we are able to see the legal filings that they put forth to get this case dismissed. If we have access to those and the evidence is there in those, then we can get that word out there to people. We don't need Donald Trump to have a press conference to do that. We can do these things ourselves. People will quickly dig through those filings. They will put out the best information. If I'm available that day, if this happens, I'll do it too. And all the important information will quickly go viral. And the other advantage we have, of course, is that we already know the background of whatever election issues he might present in those filings. This is potentially another one of those examples where the time it took to get to this point has been incredibly valuable because people out there have gotten the facts. They have taken the time. They have done the research. These stories have gone through the public psyche again and again and again and again. And the people who are tuned in, the people who are awake, actually look at this information themselves. And they may not memorize every bit of it, and they may not be able to recount and recall it on command whenever anyone brings it up to them or tries to argue with them. But they understand the background is there. They understand the mechanics of things. They understand that claims about election fraud are true. And then when it comes up again, they will rely on the recall of that memory to confirm the thing they're seeing in front of them. And if they need to go back and relearn pieces of it, they know where to find the information. That process cannot exist if Donald Trump had just dumped all of this out at the end of December 2020. And don't forget, by the way, the regime always uses the holidays to cover up their malfeasance. And you're saying, hey, well, you know, that's a little conspiratorial. No, it's not. It is common knowledge in the political arena that once people begin focusing on Thanksgiving and Christmas, the Congress and the Senate basically get carte blanche to do whatever they want. It was proven true just last year in the wake of midterms that Republicans, quote unquote, won. The House and the Senate passed a massive omnibus bill that committed the next Congress to spending that they hadn't even passed. Both sides of the Uniparty did that together. Think about how that was in 2020. November 7th, they told us Biden won Arizona. That was it. The challenges begin. And then two weeks later, essentially Thanksgiving, three weeks after that, Christmas and New Year's, a few days after New Year's, what do we get? January 6th, two weeks after that, Joe Biden 
is illegitimately sworn in as illegitimate president. While Trump takes his show on the road, receives a presidential salute at Andrews Air Force Base, and then hauls the nuclear football down to Mar-a-Lago. A lot of people, including me, expected more to be done in that time to make sure that Donald Trump stayed in office because I didn't have any insight to what could actually be accomplished in the scenario that we see now. And if you told me at that time, I wouldn't have listened. I wouldn't have agreed. I would have said, come on, that's crazy. We can't just survive for three years or four years in these circumstances with an illegitimate president running the country. Imagine what he could do. And to some extent, by the way, I would have been right. It just turns out that the illegitimate president doesn't really seem to be running too much and certainly doesn't seem to be running the important parts. But the overriding point in this discussion is that had Donald Trump dumped out all that evidence, there was more than enough to distract people. There was already obvious and overwhelming evidence that the elections should not have been certified in any state in the country by that point for anyone who was looking for anyone who was listening to the testimony in Rudy Giuliani's hearings for anyone who understood the issues with computer voting at all. And they existed prior to that election and were known prior to that election. They were attested to by major Democrats prior to that election, including the fake vice president Kamala Harris. None of that ultimately mattered in terms of the public awakening and the public narrative. People ignored it because they wanted to ignore it. They were scared of what it meant. And for many of them, they wanted Trump out of office because they were told and they believed that everything would go back to normal. What they got instead is the abomination you see before you. The information has always been there. The body of knowledge has grown consistently since then. And the number of people who are aware of that body of knowledge has grown exponentially since then. Each and every time there is cause to go through that evidence over again, more people wake up. That is ultimately the point, which is why the awakening is ultimately the solution. Now, because of the outlandish, ridiculous, corrupt nature of Fonnie Willis and these prosecutions, the blowback has been swift and potentially severe. Georgia State Senator Colton Moore sent a letter yesterday to Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. He posted it on X and wrote as a Georgia state senator, I'm officially calling for an emergency session to review the actions of Fonnie Willis. America is under attack. I'm not going to sit back and watch as radical left prosecutors politically target political opponents. The letter itself reads, we, the undersigned, being duly elected members of the Georgia House of Representatives and Georgia Senate, and comprising three-fifths of each respective House, pursuant to Article 4, Section 2, Paragraph 7b, hereby certify to you in writing, with a copy to the Secretary of State, that in our opinion, an emergency exists in the affairs of the state requiring a special session to be convened under that section for all purposes to include without limitation the review and response to the actions of Fonnie Willis. So that is Georgia State Senator Colton Moore 
to Governor Brian Kemp and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. He's saying that an emergency situation exists. It requires a special session of the legislature called by the governor and that there is a three fifths majority in each house demanding that the governor call one. Now, people are talking about potentially firing or removing Fonnie Willis, and it would be Governor Brian Kemp doing that. We'll see how that story develops. It could be an interesting parallel to the Donald Trump didn't fire Anthony Fauci narrative that always ignores. He couldn't actually do that. So we'll see if that picks up. And there is some talk, of course, about impeaching Fonnie Willis. And if we take all of that at face value and believe the people striving for that are acting and thinking in good faith, then I think the simplest response would be, don't do that. We don't need that. This RICO case should play out in front of the country. Let's get all of the evidence out there. Let it be seen in front of the full American public and let the public decide. I am more than happy to allow those chips to fall where they may. In fact, I want them to because the public disclosure of these issues is far more important than seeing Fonnie Willis get punished for being a naughty, naughty girl. I don't care about that at all right now. That can be taken care of later. And if the fact that the election was stolen gets proven to everyone beyond a shadow of a doubt and we reach that critical mass of understanding, then people like Fonnie Willis will be dealt with later. I have absolutely no doubt about our ability to deal with these problems once people have awakened to the existence of the problems and the severity of those problems. Once people realize that their votes don't count, that is when people can actually take the initiative to make the changes necessary so that one day they do and we can get the country back on the right course. Now, I am not deeply familiar with Colton Moore. I scanned through his Twitter history a bit yesterday using search terms like stolen election, election fraud, etc. And he talks about it a little bit. Not enough for my taste by a long shot, but no one does. I think I am more or less convinced that he's a good guy and probably acting in good faith. But considering I know virtually nothing about him, I'm going to keep my mind open to the possibility that getting rid of these prosecutors and interfering in these prosecutions is a potentially good strategy for controlled opposition and for the regime. Even the reactions to this point have to be an enormous backfire for them to the extent that any of this is real because Donald Trump's poll numbers are going up. More people are realizing that Donald Trump is literally being pursued by an illegitimate authoritarian regime who's bent on prosecuting their political opponents because they know that otherwise they have no chance of winning. That is not some small deal that people are waking up and understanding that there are people in the mainstream now saying quite clearly once this indictment thing started, I began supporting Donald Trump because I realize what's at stake here. And when you get to that point, when you understand that the only way the quote unquote sitting president can win a second term is by prosecuting his political opponents and censoring his political opponents and trying to imprison his political opponents, 
Well, he probably didn't win last time either. And maybe all those election fraud conspiracy theorists are just accidentally right again. Like Scott Adams says, he was wrong for the right reasons while we were right for the wrong reasons. We just consistently come to all of the proper conclusions by dumb luck or because the facts on the ground have changed. Sure, it looks like we were right then just because we are right now, but we were actually wrong then and the facts on the ground changed to align with what we were saying back then. They were right about the situation back then. We were wrong. The thing that we were saying that was wrong then is now correct, which would normally make us right. But now we're starting to say that it was right all along, even though it wasn't. And that part, my friends, is a conspiracy theory. So it turns out that the people who were right then and right now were actually wrong then. And (laughs) you guessed it wrong now. It's crazy. We are always wrong no matter how right we are. Does that seem like a total inversion within the false reality? Well, yes, it's exactly what that is. And is it our total inversion within the false reality or is it theirs? What a toss up. Who can decide? Who can determine which side is experiencing the total inversion within the false reality? One side was provably wrong then, and they have switched their opinion to our opinion, which is now right, which we held then. So they were wrong then and lying now. We were right then. Our opinion has changed not at all. Now everyone understands that particular opinion is correct, and we still hold it. So we were right then. We were right now. They were wrong then and lying now. Which side is experiencing the total inversion within the false reality? That's going to be those people once again. It's honestly crazy how often it's like this. And hey, if understanding that we were right then and right now and they were wrong then and lying now is too complicated or not convincing enough, just remember that they wore a mask in their car. They injected themselves with a toxic experimental substance that can't protect them from a disease that can't kill them because the television told them they would get in trouble if they didn't and they wanted to model good behavior. And they believe Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. And if you're not able to ground yourself in truth based on those few things, I do not know what to tell you. Now, if you are a faithful religious person, then you can ground yourself in understandings much deeper than those. But even for a scientific materialist who has no faith whatsoever, you can still ground yourself in those real irrefutable facts about the world. And if you're still having trouble, then recognize the fact that within that set of people who went along with COVID and lockdowns and masks and vaccines and believe Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes of all the people that agree with those ideas. Half of those people think men can be women and the other half have devoted their lives 
to arguing that's not true. Their claim to rationality is being able to staunchly defend the most basic and obvious fact about nature. And beyond that, they are obsessed with and build careers out of caring more than anyone about whether or not the left will finally accept these things as true. So the uniparty right cannot be depended upon to do anything productive. They are a problem. They are not part of the solution. These people are not our allies just because they say they're conservatives or they say they're on the right or they say they're aligned on certain issues like abortion or immigration. If they were legitimately aligned on any of those issues, how did we lose the country over the last few decades while so many of these staunch conservatives and staunch Republicans remained in office as part of the uniparty right? The uniparty advanced its global agenda over the last few decades, and none of these people stood in the way. They would say some things here and there to get elected. They would do what they needed to to stay in enough of the public's good graces that they were able to continue to plausibly steal primaries and then steal general elections. And that's not hard to do when you are in a deeply red state, a designation that really is useless and makes no sense at this point. But very principally conservative states end up having to vote for whoever's got the little R next to their name. So it's real easy to continue getting reelected plausibly. But that was about the extent of it. The rest of the time, they would openly serve the uniparty agenda and convince their constituents that the uniparty agenda would actually be really good for them. And if they all knew that it wasn't, and some rhino candidate was not able to stop it, he would go tell them, well, you know, I did everything I could do. And if it's obvious that's not true, they make up some excuse. And if it's obvious that the excuse doesn't work, well, we're just going to steal the election anyway. They can be depended upon for absolutely nothing. And we saw that in what we used to be told is a deep red state. Then we keep being told it's going to turn into a blue state, but it's also a purple state. And wait a second, as of 2022, it's back to being deeply red. And so I'm talking about Texas, a state they have tried to steal for Beto O'Rourke multiple times and a state in which they steal elections all over the state, a state that we are told is majority Republican, but those Republicans might as well be Democrats. At the end of May, they participated with Democrats to impeach Attorney General of the state of Texas, Ken Paxton, the man who led the Supreme Court effort after the 2020 election to have those fraudulent results overturned. And he was joined by 18 other states. That was Ken Paxton. That case was dismissed for standing. Texas courts had already taken away Ken Paxton's ability to prosecute election crimes. And then the Republicans participated with Democrats to launch an impeachment investigation and impeachment effort against Ken Paxton. And that vote in the 149 member Texas House passed 121 to 23. They were trying to get him out of there. 
Well, it's been nearly three months and now there are calls for that impeachment investigation and this entire issue to be dismissed. This is Texas attorney Tony Busby, who is handling Paxton's case in the Texas House. He published a statement yesterday writing after an investigation spanning five months in both the Texas House of Representatives and the Texas Senate, interviewing over a dozen witnesses and reviewing almost 300,000 pages of documents. The two special prosecutors who were handed a blank check at taxpayers expense to find Ken Paxton's bribe can't locate one because it never happened. To be clear, the most effective and most conservative state attorney general in the country has been out of office for almost three months while the impeachment managers and a phalanx of taxpayer paid Biden and Democrat connected help have searched for evidence of a bribe. But the House is now forced to admit they cannot find it. This is not just discouraging news for their effort. It is dispositive news. It is dispositive news because the entire impeachment proceeds from it. It is imperative now for the Senate to understand if there is no bribe, there was no whistle to blow. After all of this effort and wasted taxpayer money, what we are left with is a, quote, tale full of sound and fury signifying nothing. The Texas Senate should decline to indulge the prosecution in political theater for weeks on end, trying to find the very case they have already admitted does not exist. This whole thing has been nothing but a sham, and it should now end. Attorney General Ken Paxton has neither sought nor accepted a bribe, and the House manager's slanderous accusation to the contrary is meritless, no matter how many times they repeat it. And naturally, in response to that statement and to this fact that the key accusation has proven false, they dumped thousands of pages of documents and ran news stories everywhere today, claiming that not only should Ken Paxton be impeached, but he should be impeached even harder than we were impeaching him before, because it turns out there's all these new accusations. More or less the same story with the same claims is being distributed across a number of news sites, all printing the exact same brand new accusations and noting that the Texas Senate posted these records on Thursday night, but all the records are dated on Tuesday which means they're not just scrambling for new stories to replace the more unfortunate stories. Ken Paxton is very, very bad, even if they can't prove it. In fact, he's worse than he ever was. So forget about the fact that they can't actually prove that he did anything wrong. Now, speaking of rhinos, Ron DeSantis and the DeSantis simps have gone crazy over the past couple of days, as they usually do after a Trump indictment. They think now's our chance to trick some of these people. We'll tell them that Trump is going down for sure this time. They will get really blackpilled and frustrated, and then they'll say, I've had enough. I'm with Ron. But that never actually works out. And Trump's numbers continue to rise. Ron's continue to drop. He is now behind Chris Christie in one poll in New Hampshire. And he is regularly in third place behind Vivek or Vivek Ramaswamy. A lot of people seem to now be jumping on the Ramaswamy train. 
a lot of people are jumping on the Ramaswamy train using the same anti-Trump arguments they just used for Ron DeSantis. And what does that mean? That means that their underlying motivation is never Trump. It's not about these candidates being good candidates because they're not good candidates. In fact, they're terrible candidates. But the point is, these people are never Trump. It was never about doing the best thing for the country. It was never about winning. It was never about any of the things they said it was about. They're just trying to figure out vectors to attack Donald Trump and remove Donald Trump from the picture. Who does that benefit? Republicans? Americans? No and no. It benefits the Uniparty, which benefits the global regime. And that's why they're doing it. Now, as always, if all that is kayfabe, just fine. But we don't know if that's kayfabe for sure. So the argument needs to be made and the argument needs to be won. Therefore, we have to pay attention to the argument and make it. We can't just say, oh, that's kayfabe. Everybody ignore it and allow that nonsense to fester and grow. We need to be able to defend Donald Trump on all of these arguments if we want to ultimately be able to convince people once they awaken that this is definitely the right thing. Trust us, we've checked. We have responded to all criticisms of that decision for year after year after year. And I got in the game late. But the argument must be made and it must be won because we cannot be certain this is kayfabe. And regardless, even if it is, this is not the last time we have to go through it. We might have to go through the same argument about Vivek. We might have to go through the same argument about Glenn Youngkin. Now, I doubt that the DeSantis simps are all going to go to Vivek despite their never Trumpness. I imagine the professional class of them will mostly stay away from that because they've spent their time attacking Vivek. If they can get Glenn Youngkin, then they will move to Glenn Youngkin, but I'm not sure that that's going to happen. A lot of people are suggesting they might go to Nikki Haley or Chris Christie. I kind of doubt that because those candidacies are both so absurd that they're maybe even a little easier to see as kayfabe than someone like Ron DeSantis. And they've got to stick with someone that they can call Republican who actually represents the interests of the GOP establishment and maybe could find a base of anti-Biden Democrats who are just committed members of the Uniparty left and not really thinking people. And I'm saying, hey, I don't know, maybe a dark horse candidate on this. But Liz Cheney, the Liz Cheney simps, I can see it. But who knows, maybe they will go all the way Democrat and rather than being DeSantis's simps, they will be Big Mike's dicks. Now, yesterday in the afternoon, the New York Times dropped a story on the pro-Ron political action committee never back down. They had compiled a hundreds of pages long memo of advice for Ron DeSantis in the scheduled debate next week. That, by the way, will not be attended by Donald Trump. Yesterday, he posted this on Truth Social. Many people are asking whether or not I will be doing the debates. All Americans have been clamoring for a president of extremely high intelligence. As everyone is aware, my poll numbers over a quote unquote wonderful field of Republican candidates are extraordinary. In fact, I am leading the runner up 
whoever that may now be, by more than 50 points. Reagan didn't do it, and neither did others. People know my record, one of the best ever, so why would I debate? I'm your man. Make America great again. And of course, Donald Trump is right. There is absolutely no reason for him to debate. All he would be doing is putting eyes on these also-rans as they attack him nonsensically in front of an unsophisticated national audience. Now, I have no doubt that Donald Trump could handle himself in that. But without him, most people will not even bother watching this. And that in itself will be the main story. Most of the people watching this Republican debate are either GOP establishment media people or Trump supporters who are just ultra tuned into politics and want to know how to react. I will probably watch the debates, even though I know they in themselves are pointless because I want to see how candidates try to attack Trump and how they try to operate and manipulate the narratives. And we will almost definitely see the media declare a winner in those debates and try to get that person some extra buzz, some extra push in defeating Donald Trump. That is going to be a disastrous failure and no one is going to believe it. But you can imagine a scenario where they try to all tell the world how great Vivek is or how great Asa Hutchinson is or Chris Christie or whoever. Maybe they'll even try to say that Ron has regained his momentum after his great debate performance, but that will fall flat as well. People don't like Ron. He has taken nine and a half months now and destroyed his political future because he is a bad politician and he is totally untrustworthy. Now, it's at least somewhat notable that the people writing this article are Jonathan Swan, formerly of Axios, who you might remember interviewed Donald Trump in 2020 leading up to the election. And Donald Trump had that great scene of showing him the numbers on pieces of paper that he had and then handing them to Jonathan Swan. And also, of course, Maggie Haberman, who is obsessed with the documents in Donald Trump's toilet, apparently. Ron DeSantis needs to, quote, take a sledgehammer to Vivek Ramaswamy, the political newcomer who is rising in the polls. He should, quote, defend Donald Trump when Chris Christie inevitably attacks the former president. And he needs to, quote, attack Joe Biden and the media no less than three to five times. A firm associated with the super PAC that has effectively taken over Ron DeSantis's presidential campaign posted online hundreds of pages of blunt advice, research memos, and internal polling in early nominating states to guide the Florida governor ahead of the high stakes Republican presidential debate next Wednesday in Milwaukee. Now, the stakes are not high. It is what, 9, 10, 12 also rans on the anti Trump network Fox News. This doesn't really matter, and it's not going to change anything. The trove of documents provides an extraordinary glimpse into the thinking of the DeSantis operation about a debate the candidates' advisors see as crucial. There are four basic must-dos. One of the memos urges Mr. DeSantis, whom the document refers to as GRD. One, attack Joe Biden and the media three to five times. State GRD's positive vision two to three times. Hammer Vivek Ramaswamy in a response. Four, defend Donald Trump 
in absentia in response to a Chris Christie attack. Now, GRD is obviously Governor Ron DeSantis. The documents were posted this week on the website of Axiom Strategies, the company owned by Jeff Rowe, the chief strategist of Mr. DeSantis's super PAC, Never Back Down. Now, super PACs are not supposed to be in contact with campaigns. They are not supposed to be advising campaigns. This is something we know happens. It is pretended that this doesn't happen and no one actually pursues it. But in that alone, you have an element of awakening. People need to understand that just because those policies are in place and just because people say it's not happening doesn't mean that it's not happening. Every time those things get exposed, we are told they're not a big deal in that situation. And by and large, campaigns aren't in contact with the super PACs. It must become clear to everybody that the stated way that things work is not necessarily the real way that things work. We need to know the real way that things work so that we can stop things from working that way in the future. Now, these pieces of advice themselves are rather interesting. They need to go after Vivek Ramaswamy. They are going to call him fake and inauthentic. And that is what anyone running against Vivek Ramaswamy should attack. He is fake. He is inauthentic. You can watch it as he speaks. His ideas are also very bad, and people don't realize that because he is also reiterating pablum that at least sounds like MAGA principles, but they're not. For instance, his pro-Second Amendment positions, while correct, are stated ridiculously, and then he says it would be a good idea to arm all the Taiwanese citizens with AR-15s so they can protect themselves from China's military. That's how much he likes guns. And that's how based he is. He can say they should have AR-15s. He's not even scared of those big, mean Democrats who think no one should have any AR-15s. God, Vivek is so brave. And he has said, oh, I'm going to pardon Donald Trump when I become president. Yeah, all right, man. But you're not going to become president and you're not going to pardon Donald Trump. And that is not the right way to approach this issue. That is not taking a bold stance. That is proposing an impossible hypothetical and trying to reap political reward from proposing it. That is as weak and fake and inauthentic as it gets. And of course, it basically goes without saying that he will not address election theft because if he did, then he immediately refutes any motivation he could possibly have for running. The same logic that applies to Ron DeSantis applies to Vivek Ramaswamy. If you know the election was stolen and you're supporting someone other than the duly elected president, not to mention running against them, you are helping the regime with their usurpation, period. There is no way out of that. And if you say you don't think elections are stolen, you're either stupid or lying. There is no other answer than that. You either need to turn in your smart card or your honesty card. You can't keep them both. If you're being honest, then you're not very smart and you haven't checked. And if you have checked, then you know the elections are stolen. So if you're saying they aren't, you're lying. So you can't depend on the uniparty right for anything. 
The proof that you are on the uniparty right is that you stand in opposition to Trump and MAGA. If you cared about conservative principles winning, then you would be standing up for the person who was already the duly elected president rather than helping the regime cover up the usurpation forever and be allowed to continue stealing elections forever. Does anyone believe that's the last election they'll steal? Does anyone believe the presidential election of 2020 is the only election they steal? You get rid of Donald Trump, you cover the thing up. That's why they're all so focused on getting rid of Donald Trump. But let's bring all of this back around to good old Fani in Georgia. Donald Trump today has retruthed a series of tweets, or I should say X posts from journalist Paul Sperry. Today, he wrote new Georgia state records show that Fulton County DA Fani Taifa Willis. I mean, her name is basically Antifa, whose father was a member of the militant Black Panthers has contributed $6,424 to the Georgia Democratic Party and Democrat candidates. So Fonnie Antifa Willis, whose father was a Black Panther, has supported Democrat candidates in the past. And that part in particular is not remotely surprising, but it's good to know these things. In a second Paul Sperry post, truthed by Donald Trump, in addition, former prosecutors also point out that Fulton County D.A. Fonnie Willis went far outside her lane by including other jurisdictions in her indictment, including Pennsylvania, Arizona and Michigan. And we talked about some of that on Tuesday. And finally, Donald Trump truthed this Sperry Post as well. Legal watchdogs say D.A. Willis's indictment is a clumsy overreach that fails to provide proof President Trump knowingly agreed to facilitate a RICO scheme or conspiracy and criminalizes Trump's tweets, phone calls to his VP, and even the drafting and delivery of POTUS speeches. Things are looking very bad for Fonnie Willis. Now, again, I don't expect the uniparty right to do anything good or productive about this, no matter how much they push for it. Even if they are pushing to somehow remove Fonnie Willis or get rid of this investigation, it cannot be trusted specifically because it's coming from them and specifically because the biggest benefit to be had on our side is for these trials to happen, for them to be public hopefully for them to be televised, but regardless, for people to know all of the evidence that exists in these cases. And while we can't trust the uniparty right at all, we should hopefully be able to trust America First Legal in their efforts to combat the corruption and overreach by Fonnie Willis. Yesterday, they put this out on aflegal.org. America First Legal launches investigation into Fulton County, Georgia's District Attorney Fonnie Willis for costs associated with the Trump investigation and external communications. Today, America First Legal launched a new investigation into the activity of Fulton County, Georgia's District Attorney Fonnie Willis. 
AFL requested records related to the cost of the office's years long investigation of President Trump and documents related to the rate at which the office declines to pursue felony charges in other cases. Justice must be blind, and if the office is routinely declining felony charges while pursuing long-lasting and expensive investigations of the political opposition, this raises grave concerns about the partisanship of our justice system. AFL also seeks to obtain the office's communications with the court clerk's office regarding the apparent inadvertent release of the Trump indictment before it was issued by the grand jury. AFL seeks to obtain transparency in government to ensure that the government remains accountable to the people. That principle that the people are the sovereign and our elected officials work for the people is central to our republic and must be preserved. And I think that this is really important and that we really need to grasp and understand this. And Dave on X-22 has been hammering this point over the last few weeks as well. And I think it's an extremely important one. The people, the court of public opinion, that is the ultimate judge, jury and executioner on all of this stuff. We have heard the message over and over again. You cannot wait on anyone else to come save you. How do the people save the system if they are not in power? Well, our founders actually advised us on this and said the people have the power to overthrow the government. That doesn't mean that we need to violently overthrow the government. That much has to be clear. That is why we are doing this so that it doesn't come to violence. But it also makes clear that to be a sovereign nation, we must have a government that serves at the will of the people. If the government loses the consent of the governed, that government is illegitimate. The people then must therefore become ungovernable. And again, this doesn't require violence or even necessarily lawlessness. It just means you stop doing all the things they tell you to do because they have no legitimate authority to tell you to do those things. Think about masking. No one should have ever followed those commands. If we hadn't, we would live in a different world now. Have we learned the lesson? I guess we'll see. But the point is, the people are the sovereign. The people are the ruler. This is why Donald Trump says, when we are re-elected, when we enter the White House, when we are president again, the people are the sovereign. The government does not sit on some higher level than the people. The government is tasked to defend the nation and uphold the Constitution and the rights of the people on the people's behalf as the people's representative. They don't exist to give us all rules to follow and create a perfect society for us. That is not the role of government in our constitutional republic. And it should not be the role of government anywhere except when the people delegate certain authorities to the government through legitimate constitutional means. And unfortunately, it's impossible to currently prove the legitimacy of any of those means because we cannot prove the legitimacy of the elections. And therefore, we cannot be certain that any of those officials passing this legislation are doing so 
with the will and consent of the people they pretend to represent. At some point, this ultimately has to be the only thing that matters. Gene Hamilton, the vice president of America First Legal, said in a statement, Fonnie Willis, apparently under the delusion that the good people of Fulton County are protected from wanton crime and violence in their communities, that women and children are safe to walk the streets throughout the county without concern any time of the day, decided to embark on a multi-year investigation into a federal matter at great expense. The people of Fulton County and the people of the great state of Georgia deserve to know precisely what her office has spent on that investigation, and perhaps more importantly, what other criminal offenses she is not prosecuting because of her self-promoting partisan investigation into former President Donald J. Trump. And AFL includes the FOIA letters that they have sent requesting information under the Freedom of Information Act. Now, as I said at the beginning, I'm going to try to get an episode up this weekend. I feel bad that I have missed three out of five this week. I never want to be in a position where I do that because honestly, I appreciate so much the support you guys provide on Substack just to listen to the show a couple days early. You guys are paying to support the show and you're paying for the ability to do that. And so I feel a responsibility to give you what you are paying for and what I generally guarantee to deliver. So I hope you will forgive my moderate inconsistency over the last couple of weeks. I think we should be roughly back on track at this point, at least for a bit. So most likely I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!